Welcome to Yo Today. I'm Paul Pepys, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is David Morrow, writer, memoirist, and performance artist, a third-generation Japanese-American. He has written intimately about his life as a man of color and the connection between race, sexuality, and history. Morrow's latest book, A Stranger's Journey, Race, Identity, and Narrative Craft in Writing, as its title implies, addresses the craft of creative writing in the context of America's increasingly diverse literature. On February 19th, 2020, Murrah gave a reading and a craft talk as a guest of the UO's creative writing program. Thank you, David, for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. First, tell us about your background and how you came to be a writer. Um, I grew up in Chicago. I'm a third generation Japanese American. So what that means is both my parents' families were interned during World War II. Uh, I was raised not knowing anything about them. Uh, I was raised to typical tiger father um, <laughs> and he wanted me to become a lawyer and uh, I was working in an insurance office in college during the summer <laughs> and I was hiding poetry books in my desk <laughs> and I realized if I hid those po if I became a lawyer I would be hiding those poetry books the rest of my life in the desk so I decided I, w I would go to English graduate school and become a writer. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you, you're you a prolific writer, and you're comfortable in the genres or the forms of poetry, fiction, a memoir, drama, and criticism. Mm -hmm. It's not always the case that writers are as capacious in the modes in which they write. Tell us a little bit about why you, how you understand the question of the different forms or genres of writing and, and why you write in so many. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would start by saying I eventually was kicked out of graduate school <laughs> with seven incompletes. <laughs> And so I had a big problem with writer's block. Now, I published 10 books, so I got over it. But the key to it was that I read William Stafford's Writing the Australian Crawl. Mm -hmm. He's a poet. And he said, the key to writer's block is lower your standards. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a long while to learn that. Um, I think I really began, I, I started out as a poet, and then I went to Japan and I realized that if I waited for uh, my experiences to distill into poetry, I would lose so much of the density and complexity of what was happening to me in Japan. Mm -hmm. So, and I knew, you know, uh, some poets who had written memoirs, and so I, I thought I would write a book about being in Japan. Mm -hmm. And once I began doing that, I began branching out in other places. Um, and then in, I started doing performance art in the early 90s because a, a black writer friend asked me to be in a series of performances by writers of color. And I realized if I wasn't in the series, there wasn't going to be an Asian American male. So I started doing little performance monologues and I suddenly discovered other voices that were less literary mm -hmm. um, quote-unquote, uh, and more colloquial than the poetry I was writing. So I, I, I think in each of the genres, I learns, I'm able to express things that I'm not in the other genre, but I also learn things uh, about the materials and the subjects I'm working with, um, and I, I, I learn things about myself mm -hmm. that then I can carry over into other, other areas. The, a lot of things that I learned from writing my two memoirs um, show up in my poetry later. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I could have reached some of the realizations 
that I did through the poetry. It's like, for instance, I was in Japan and I was visiting Hiroshima. And my father, who had been interned actually as a, you know, as a teenager during World War II, he said, he told me, well, we just got out of the camps and everything was fine. Mm. But since I was in Hiroshima, I began thinking about the end of World War II. And my dad was going to school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so I thought, at VJ Day, would my dad have been able to go down and join the celebration and wave a little American flag? And I realized, no, he wouldn't have felt mm -hmm, comfortable mm -hmm, doing that. Mm -hmm. And then I realized he was either lying about his experiences or he was forgetting how difficult it was. And uh, that was such a complicated realization. It had to take place, I think, through prose. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Since you've raised the experience uh, of your parents in the internment camps, I wanted to mention that today is February 19th, which is 78 years mm. since the day that Franklin Roosevelt yep. issued the executive order to intern Japanese Americans. On this day of remembrance, do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Well, I th it's sadly ironic that um, they had thrown out the case of Korematsu, in, which was one of the four cases Japanese Americans brought to the Supreme Court um, in 1981. And they, they had thrown it out because they realized that a, a law professor from UCLA uncovered evidence that the military had found that the Japanese Americans were not a military threat. But they lied to the public and then the Solicitor General repeated those lies in the court. And then in the late 80s, Congress uh, apologized to uh, the Japanese American community and Ronald Reagan, the, you know, the, the standard bearer of the Republican Party, signed a declaration which stated that the re real reason for the camps were, was not military necessity, but racism, wartime hysteria, and a failure of leadership. And I think some of us in our community thought, okay, America has recognized this wrong, they've apologized it, they've thrown out a Korematsu. Um, and then the first Gulf War happened, then 9-11, and the JCL, the Japanese American Citizens League, was one of the first organizations to speak out in defense of Arab and Muslim Americans. And just this past week, the Supreme Court finally, because they, they ruled that Korematsu was not valid because of evidence, but they didn't rule it unconstitutional. This past week, the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional, but they used that as a contrast to the, the current travel ban that, that the Trump administration has, has invoked. And uh, Sotomayor, um, Chief Justice, um, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, uh, in a dissent said, you know, we're going to read this decision uh, 40 years from now just the way you're talking about Korematsu. So, the experience of Japanese Americans now becomes a, a, a predecessor of what is happening to Muslim and Arab Americans. And, and rather than, under, Trump rather than understanding 
and learning from history, he said, well, I don't know, you would have had to have been there. And he said, look, Roosevelt did it, I could do it. So he's using it as precedence, even though the Supreme Court has ruled it unconstitutional. So. Thanks for sharing that. So among the modes in which you write is uh, uh, writing this newest book, uh, Stranger's Journey, Race, Identity, and the Narrative Craft, and Narrative Craft in Writing. So this is in part a craft book. Yes. So tell us first, um, this is an unusual book on craft. Yes. So tell us what's unusual about it and tell us why you wrote yeah. the book the way that you did. Yeah, one half of the book is just is about narrative structure and techniques in fiction and memoir. The other half is um, an extended argument on why the issues of identity, ethnicity, and race are now central to the literary enterprise and the teaching of creative writing. And oftentimes when writers of color bring up work which addresses these issues or when they bring up issues of uh, race within the workshop, they're often told, oh, that's political correctness. That's not aesthetic. Um, you know, we're not here to be politically correct. And part of what I'm trying to do in the book is First of all, provide them with arguments for why this is not so, mm -hmm. uh, because the the what what that does in any political argument, what people often do is they uh, define the status quo as not political, mm -hmm. and uh, any change in the status quo is then political. Well, that's just a semantic difference. It's not a real difference. Um, the for most writers of color, we cannot understand our experiences without, and contextualize them properly, without reference to race, without reference to, you know, in my case, ethnicity and, and my history as a Japanese American. One of the interesting things about when white writers write about their identity is they don't identify their characters racially. Mm -hmm. So what this does is it posits whiteness as a universal default. Everything else is the exception. It also posits implicitly whiteness as the norm. Everything else is the exception. It, it says that being white is not important to their white character's identity or to their experience. And part of what I say is, well, you can believe that, mm -hmm. but you cannot tell me that's not a political position. And it's actually a political position which is much closer to a conservative political opinion that race doesn't really matter. A race matters far less than people of color think about it. And certainly as a white person, you don't have to think about what being white means um, than it is to actually a liberal position on race. Um, but I taught a, a course in <coughs> the Stone Coast MFA program on writing on race. And part of the argument to, on the, you know, to white writers is if you begin to investigate these areas of, of race, you will begin to actually understand areas of your experience of the history of this country um, that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And that you, you cannot understand the reality and history of people of color if you only learn the white version of that history. And then what happens then is that the, in, in the workshop, the writers became stronger, not just about writing about race, but once they wrote a race, they, they became less fearful. Mm. 
you know, because race is a big taboo. We don't yeah. want to talk about it. We don't want to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the ambitions of their writing expanded. The, the, they were opened themselves to more literary and intellectual and cultural influences. And so it's like, why wouldn't you want to do this? Mm -hmm. The other thing is that um, creativity comes out of difference. It doesn't come out of sameness. Mm -hmm. So if you're only aware of white writers of the white writing tradition, you're, you're, you're also selling yourself short mm -hmm. because there are things you can learn from these other traditions and things I've learned from these other traditions that um, I couldn't have. You know, I, in my graduate school training, I read no writers of color. So I could have gotten my PhD if I hadn't had seven incompletes <laughs> and, and not read any writers of color. But after graduate school, I began reading black writers, and I suddenly realized, oh, they're talking about their identities in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that I can relate to. And the language that they're using about race, I can use some of these concepts to explore my own identity and my own experience. So my writing became richer and more complex because of that. Um, and that's what I want for you know, writers of color, and white writers who are learning how to write. Hmm. Fascinating. So you, um, among many very interesting topics that the, that the book addresses, you often address the particular challenges faced by young writers of color hmm. in majority white creative writing yeah. programs. And interestingly, you recommend Sun Tzu's The Art of War to those mm -hmm. young writers. Tell us why. Well, uh, Sun Tzu um, says, do not fight battles that you can't win. And what that means is, and he actually talks about in terms of numbers of troops, but it's in terms of power. You know, what power do you have at any particular moment mm -hmm. to win a battle? And if you as a graduate student begin making issue about race, which you can, and you get negative feedback back, the tendency of the program is to say it's about you. It's, 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 there's something wrong with you, you're a difficult personality, you have a chip on your shoulder. Um, and it's never recognized as a political argument. It's an argument between groups. Richard Wright said that black and white America are engaged in a argument over the description of reality. Mm -hmm. Well, if literature is a description of our reality, why wouldn't that argument also be in a creative writing class? Mm -hmm. And so that argument is never recognized. It's, it's a literary argument, it's an aesthetic argument, but it is also a political argument. And it is an argument between groups, not between individuals. I mean, individuals take place in it. Um, but I, I say, for some graduate students, it, it is not worth it. It will take too much of a toll for them to make this fight because they can't win, mm -hmm. generally. Now, there are some graduate students or students who are great at organizing mm -hmm. and can think of ways of, of moving the program or they get energy, creative energy. It doesn't drain them. Mm -hmm. It actually inspires them. Mm -hmm. And it's fine if those students want to do that, but not everybody is built like that. Mm -hmm. And it may be that it, you, you should just keep your head down, get your degree, write your first book, get tenure, and then become head of a department, and then you can change things, right? Because you then have the power to change things. So it's about thinking strategically, and I think 
when you are in an institution organization where you f feel like your personhood or you know your group is being marginalized or denigrated or not recognized you're in a struggle of power and you have to reckon with other women whether it's over issues of gender whether it's orientation class race ethnicity all of these things you have to think about these as a battle over power even as you're trying to write creatively and make aesthetic arguments. You, uh, you quote uh, Jeff Chang yeah. uh, in the book and his um, very interesting uh, statement that um, cultural change precedes political change. Tell us why that's a, a quotation that you recur to and why, why that's important for you. Well, I think simply by writing the truth of their lives, people often expose things in society that people haven't seen or don't want to hear from, mm -hmm. right? And so that's one thing. It's, it's like what, what I tell my students is writers, you know, we drag things out from under the table, we drag things out from the, from the, you know, from, from the closet, and this may be before a family or before a community or before a nation, and say, here are all those things your portrait of the reality leaves out, mm -hmm. and we need to contend with these things. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing it does is it also creates pleasures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have an essay, which is not in this book, which argues that Chuck Berry was also a force in desegregating the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can see it in the movie Cadillac Records, where he goes to the South, and there's a rope line between the white young people in the audience and the black young people in the audience. But at a certain point, he gets everybody moving so much that that rope line just you know, breaks down, the black kids and white kids are dancing together, they're on stage together, and it's like, he just desegregated that audience. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do it by protest, he did mm -hmm. it because everybody loved the music and moved to the music. So that's another way that writers can actually create this change. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Um, you've compared writing to a mythic journey resulting in transformation. So tell us about your experience writing A Stranger's Journey. What, what transformation did you undergo or experience? Um, yeah, I, I say in the book that um, writers take up a book to become the person who finishes the book. <laughs> so the idea is you, you have to change yourself. If, if it's a really a uh, book that's coming out of your, 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 your deep self and, and is really truly creative, moving you forward, it is, it is a call, like in the mythic journey, to a journey to change, mm -hmm. to transform yourself in some way. And oftentimes, in the beginning of that journey, you face the sort of uh, dark night of the soul where you're, you're facing failure. Um, and Joseph Campbell talks about this in his, his series uh, on myth. And then part of that is you as a hero has to change. The interesting thing I think about this book is I was trying to sneak some of the stuff about race into the book. Mm -hmm. And it was rejected by two publishers. And then the third publisher uh, was the University Press and the readers. And they kept on asking for more about race. Mm -hmm. And they kept on asking for, you know, the, one of them asked, I, I mentioned Conrad in the book. and. In the early 90s, I had written an essay about, uh, which mentioned Conrad and Achebe's, Chinua Achebe's argument with Conrad, you know, where Conrad 
portrays the Africans as uncivilized savages on the shore. And Achebe goes, well, wait a second, those could have been my, like my great-grandparents. Do mm -hmm. I think they were civilized savages? Mm -hmm. um, and and, and so, so it is, they, I was told, you know, you can't call Conrad a racist, mm -hmm. right? And you, you know, you. I was encouraged to excise that, and this was like in 1992, and then in 1916 or 17, my editors are asking for more, and and to me it was part of the way that sometimes as a writer of color, you're you're trying to thread yourself through the eye of the needle of mm. of white gatekeepers, and and the needle keeps moving, mm. you know. <laughs> very interesting. Very interesting. Um, the other project in the book is a very practical yeah. uh, craft guide. Mm -hmm. And um, why, why was that important? Why did you, need to, why did you feel the need to write that? Well, I, I, I teach at Vona, which is a writer's conference for writers of color, mm -hmm. uh, which used to be held in the Bay Area, and now this year we're going to hold it in Miami. Um, and I would get writers, even from prestigious MFA programs, mm -hmm. Ivy League, you know, like Columbia, NYU, and they didn't know how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. They didn't know the basics of story. And I had to learn, you know, when I began to write fiction, I looked at some of the fiction. If you look at John Gardner's The Art of Fiction, he talks about style, he talks about character, he, he talks about genre, but he really doesn't talk about narrative, mm -hmm. about narrative construction or mm -hmm. what story is. And when I, began, when I began writing fiction, I found information about that in books on screenplays, books on plays, and books on myth. And so I began to take, use those in my teaching, mm -hmm. uh, both for fiction writers, because obviously fiction writers are telling the story, but also to help memoir writers. Dis I say that uh, in fiction we create story, mm -hmm. in memoir you discover story. Mm -hmm. So you discover how to tell the story of your, your younger self in a way that is a story, not just a series of events. And, you know, this starts with having a protagonist who has a goal. And even that simple thing, I would realize, like, I would, I would get fiction writers who didn't understand, like, a story is a protagonist with a goal. Mm -hmm. And then the story is built on blocks to that goal and the ways that both outside blocks, but the best are the internal blocks. When you want one thing and you're pursuing one goal, but then another goal conflicts and you start to lie to yourself mm. about the irreconcilability of those goals and you and the character tries to control reality and in ways that can't be controlled. An easy example of this is I want to become a law partner, so I have to work, work 50, 60, 60 hours a week. I want to become a good father. And I begin lying to myself that I can do both, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Great example. Um, you have in the, the book includes with a series of very practical writing assignments. Yeah. Say why, why, why it was important for, to include those. I think one thing is the writing assignments to me emphasize two things, uh, three things. One is uh, an exploration of identity. Mm -hmm. um, and but they also illustrate that writing is a process. And so many times, like, like I, I was just in an MFA program and I, I, I came upon somebody who was mixed race and he says, well, I don't know how to approach it. Mm. And I said, start writing about it. You'll figure it out. 
You don't have to understand how to handle your subject before you do it. You write your way into a subject of understanding. Mm -hmm. And so, so often an emphasis on product either keeps people from starting things mm -hmm. or keeps people, uh, you know, the emphasis on product is a key to writer's block, right? Because it, it, it's like, I gotta produce a perfect product right away. Mm -hmm. Rather than my writing this book or this poem is a process that I just follow and I don't actually determine the outcome of the product. Um, and, and, and so, so much of the thing is about investigation. Uh, another principle I use is just breaking things down. I, I, I talk about how to break parts of a scene down into dialogue, description, interior thought. And I have students just write this parts of the scene individually, mm -hmm. like just write what everybody's thinking in the scene. Write physical descriptions of everything. Mm -hmm. Write dialogue for everything in mm -hmm. the scene. Write the history of each character. Now take all these things and combine. And the scene is inevitably much more dense, much more full and fleshed out. And then, and then I go, see, you can write at that level. That's the level that you have to write at from now on. Mm -hmm. But it's by, sometimes it's, it's breaking these things down into specific blocks and techniques. Um, and teaching them again, but it's a process, right? I, I'm, I'm trying to get them to see that that if you surrender, to, and, and the part of my emphasis is that the unconscious is smarter than the conscious mm -hmm, mind. Mm -hmm. The unconscious knows more than smarter is than the conscious mind. And I define creative writing as the search for and creation of a language which will express what we know unconsciously, mm -hmm. but don't yet have the language to express. Mm -hmm. And so it means listening to your, and so much of our education privileges the conscious mind, which is not where creativity comes from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fascinating. So David, we just have a couple of minutes yeah. left. This will be my last question. Um, you are, it's very clear, uh, an, uh, an incredibly uh, gifted uh, teacher as well as a gifted writer, um, but you are also um, extremely well read. I think any, I'm an English professor, so mm -hmm. I was reading your book mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my God, he's, he knows this. He's, mm -hmm. um, are there any books uh, that you've recently read that you would recommend for us to read and say why? Um, I, I don't remember the title of it. <laughs> there was a book on post-blackness. Um, God, what was the title? Well, uh, let me ask you a different question yeah. while that's percolating. Yeah. Um, what are you working on now? Uh, I'm working on a book of essays on race, which is more on whiteness mm -hmm. and uh, um, the way that whiteness, as it was constructed way in the beginning of uh, the birth of our nation, still continues to um, form beliefs and practices in our society today. Hmm. And that there is a link between what happened in slavery and say uh, uh, police killings of unarmed black men. And until we see the links of that history, uh, we're not gonna be able, part of my argument is we're not gonna be able to move forward. I'm also working on a book of essays on Asian American issues and a novel that I've been working on for years. Okay, well, we'll look forward <laughs> to the eventual arrival yeah, of yeah. all three of those. Okay. David Murrah, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a really interesting conversation. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I've been speaking with David Murrah, 
writer, memoirist, and performance artist. Murrah's latest book, A Stranger's Journey, Race, Identity, and Narrative Craft in Writing, addresses America's increasingly diverse literature and the craft of writing. On February 19, 2020, Murrah gave a reading and a craft talk as a guest of UO's Creative Writing Program. Thanks so much for watching.